Good morning and welcome good back. Morning, good morning, welcome. New week. It's a new, new week. week. Welcome back to the Daily Thread. It's a rainy day. Here in New York, it's a rainy day. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, most places around the world, it's probably raining because it's hurricane. Think so. I hate to disagree with you right off the bat, but I'm sure there are parts of the world that it's a beautiful day. You know, we had some extraordinary. We had an extraordinary summer here in in New York in terms of weather. So it was very nice. I see these rainy, cold days as, of course, a prelude to the changing of the seasons. But I also yeah. see it as uh, some way you have to pay for the nice days. That's true. This That's is how true. you pay. So um, a lot happened over the weekend. Uh, yes. First and foremost, want to you know mention Baruch Dynamis to the Krauss family, uh, the Five Towns community. Vicolistrel really lost a legend in Doctor Krauss who suddenly passed away at 63 years old over the weekend. He was a pediatric dentist for decades, had thousands of patients, known as a tremendous balchesed. He was also a member of Hatzalah, yes. um, a paramedic known as RL76. He was very, very well known. Um, he was really uh, not only a man that had a successful and very big uh, pediatric dental practice, like you said, here in the five towns, but he was also an instructor that taught uh, other dentists how to uh, care for young patients, which is... Uh, Not easy. Uh, it's an additional challenge, of course, getting them to cooperate. And uh, he was known for really uh, going the extra mile on numerous occasions. And um, it, was just, it's a, it was a big shock to the community after Shabbos uh, ended uh, on Saturday night. And um, like you said, our condolences uh, to his uh, wife and children. And it's a big loss... Um, uh, for the community in general, and um, you know, a young man, uh, relatively speaking, um, is taken so suddenly, and it's a, it's a shock, especially at especially at this time of year. Yeah, it's you know? so you have to wonder to yourself, uh, you know, what the um, divine cheshbonosa, you know. Yeah, uh, it's the. I mean, we have no, we have an inclination to try to calculate these things. And to try to understand and grasp that, I think that's a chesaron. But we just, we just can't come, uh, can't come to peace with the fact that there are things like of this nature that are just beyond our ability to comprehend, and that's how we were constructed uh, by uh, by the Rebbeinu Shalom. But we just constantly, almost habitually, uh, want to try to you know, wrap our minds around it, and it's just not possible. Yeah, it's something that um, I saw yesterday. By his Leviah, I'm gonna put a picture on the screen for those who are watching. You know the Hatzalah members. It's it's really one big family. Um, mm -hmm. Hatzalah members escorting you know the mace, Doctor Kraus, uh, to his burial. But um, I find I find that it's really incredible. People who are part of Hatzalah, it's like they're they're like siblings. It's a it's a it's a it's like a fraternity. It's a it's a camaraderie. Uh, they have something very much in common. It's a very, very strong sense of belonging they must have. And they they have a, they they share a sense of uh, sacrificing for others, uh, without consideration of their own well being, which is, you know, talking about things we don't understand. I mean, we can understand that, but we know from just life in general that these these types of things are, um, I would say, contrary to natural human nature. To be you able know? to just be giving without yeah, receiving. I'm going to turn my chair a little bit so I can sure. look at you a little easier. <laughs> without to be you know? to be giving without really receiving much in return. Um, not in terms of being to receive in return, but uh, just to put yourself out. 
uh, in such an extraordinary way. Um, at all hours of the day and night, Shabbos, Yantav, Yom Kippur, <clears throat> it doesn't matter when it is. Uh, life is supreme and it is docha um, everything, you know. Uh, it uh, it uh, precedes and supplants uh, all else, uh, the value of life, God-given life, which you understand is precious beyond our ability to calculate. And... Um, uh, these guys, uh, the uh, the guardians of yeah. that sacred trust, so to speak. They sacrifice and they, and they do really, really incredible work. Transitioning, uh, the I feel like the entire world, <laughs> the Jewish world at least, f- just like got on a plane the other day and just went to Israel. I mean, yeah. many, many people, of course, the pictures are, are coming in. I'll put that, some on the screen right now. Right. You have, you know... Uh, <laughs> Five Towns native Shopsy Fuchs. Yes, I With Avram Belsky, Avram Halpern. You have yeah. David Freeman and, and David Hassan and his child on, on, uh, on a flight. It's just, uh, right. you know, people well, are people are there in droves. Well, we went, uh, what was it, five years ago? For Sukkot. We went second days for Sukkot. Six years ago? Well, we yeah. did Chalamite and the second days and a couple of days after that. It was very nice. And, uh, you know, it, it, this is like a breakout year because the last two years there were restrictions. It was, quiet. it was more quiet there. Because, you know, if you wanted to go for last sukkah, see if you could get permission to go. I think you needed permission from the health and health ministry and from right. the, and you needed to have a COVID test uh, before you got on the plane and you needed a COVID test when you arrived at uh, Ben Gurion Airport. Um, it, it was a real tircha. And I think that... Uh, the attendance was very, very much down. So it's a breakout uh, type of year because, you know, Baruch Hashem, there are no no uh, restrictions this year. Right. Um, the only restriction is you have to be able to find the an apartment or a hotel. only restriction you is you have, have to one. have the money to be able to get there. It's not cheap this year. It's very expensive to be able to make that trip. Yes, it's, uh, it's very expensive. And um, I always find that the, uh, the trip going uh, and then coming back, uh, in a in a way, it's the high points of the uh, it's the high points of the of the idea of Yantif in uh, Eretz Israel. Being there is really a different challenge, you know. <laughs> You're saying that the going leaving is the high point. That seems well. You know, if you look at it from a elementary uh, social uh, perspective, not from a divine spiritual Olaregel type of thing. I mean, it's not traditionally. I, mean, I know people consider themselves. Being I mean, I hear going is exciting, but leaving is not exciting. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that leaving Eretz Yisrael is exciting. You know, there's great uh, tzaddikim over the years who didn't go to Eretz Yisrael ever in their lives. For example, Lubavitcher Rebbe never went to Eretz Yisrael. You know why? Because he said he held it. If you go to Eretz Yisrael, you're not allowed to leave. The Rebbe never took a day off. Yeah? What? The Rebbe never took a day off. You never. You're not allowed to leave if you go to Eretz Yisrael. Spe- speaking of the Rebbe, we're we're on the uh, on the doorstep of Yom Kippur right now. This is two, it's Monday morning. Yom Kippur is tomorrow night. Right. And you grew up in Crown Heights. Yom right. Kippur. You know, probably a different experience than you experience now. I know that you davened in seven seventy, and davening <laughs> started in Kippur at ten thirty in the morning. And well. Listen, we had, uh, it's a long story uh, that uh, I've written about uh, extensively over the last couple What's of decades. What's a long story? That you, you I mean, the history of our minion at 770. My father was a, uh, the Baltfila up at the uh, the uh, library on the second floor of 770, which was once the uh, the home and the library of the Friedrich Rebbe, of Yeshiv Yitzchak, Yeshiv Yitzchak Schneerson, uh, uh, and he was uh, confined to a wheelchair for uh, many years prior to his death. 
To the Frida Gerber. Yeah, the Frida Gerber. And so there was a minion upstairs. And at the apartment, my father was uh, on Rosh Hashanah. He davened, um, he davened I believe, uh, Musaf. Your father, he had a good voice? Uh, he had a nice voice, very pleasant. Very what happened? Pleasant. It, it didn't get passed down. I don't know. We have some. We have some kids that have nice voices. You don't. You, you, not I mean, me, not me per se. My brother Yossi has a nice voice. He's been for the Yamid for many years. Uh-huh. Uh, your sister Malki has a very beautiful singing voice. Uh-huh. Uh, who else has a nice voice? Ayochado's um, not not bad. We did. We did. Voice. We. You know, one one thing that did happen, thanks to you, over the weekend is um, hundreds of people came over to me and asked me which choir I was in. Oh really? You kind of uh, you doxed I let the me. cat out of the bag. Yeah, I don't no, know. I'm not giving your address out or your social security number. I don't know. That was. Uh, uh, but um, so, <laughs> but that was a conversation about choirs. You wanted to you, know about you. You were. Um, I think one time you told me that you got to you know 770 one morning on Yom Kippur, and that happened to be the morning that the Yom Kippur War was taking place. Yeah, that was that was 1973. And uh, I think I was uh, at the my end the end of my teenage years, and um, and um, there was a there was an Italian gentleman. His name was Carmen. He owned a shoe store on Kingston Avenue, and I would always pass his store uh, on the way up to Seven Seventy on mm-hmm. Shabbos morning. And usually, um, you know, he knew that I wanted to know what the Mets did on Friday night. Yeah. So he usually just passing by your store, he would give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Oh, wow. And that meant the Mets won, <laughs> Mets lost. Uh, on this particular young kipper, he, he saw me walking up Kingston Avenue and he came out of the store and told me that war broke out uh, in Israel. That was a shock to... Uh, of course, though. The whole idea of that attack from uh, Egypt... On young kipper. Uh, and, 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 and Syria and, and Jordan... Uh, was to, of course, catch Israel off guard because the Israeli army is largely a citizen army. It requires them, uh, uh, fighting a war requires that they uh, call up reservists, uh, and uh, that takes time. Yeah. And if everybody's in shul, and seriously, on Yom Kippur, everybody is in shul. I was just reading, I was just, I was just listening to these nuts on ABC this morning, you know, who we love listening to, Sid, Sid Rosenberg. <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to them <laughs> on WABC, and he said he's going to be in shul on Yom Kippur. He's not going to be on the radio. Yeah, he's going to be in shul. And he said if he said if and he's not a religious guy, you know, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But he, he said this morning on the radio, even though his father passed away a few years ago, he said that if, if he doesn't go to shul on Yom Kippur, his father's going to kill him. Mm. <laughs> okay. So so much for that. But we did you you did start you're leaving people hanging. We we dived in at seven seventy and our menu started at ten thirty AM on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That, that's the time. That's the time that uh I guess uh Hasidim generally uh, Well people think I think people have the misconception that Chabadniks just sleep late, but maybe they're, no, they're missing the not. fact that they do chitas before they daven. That's not a Yom Kippur also, the calculation 1030 is if you have a minion outside of the main shul of 770, the rebbe you generally came down from his office to join the minion in the main shul at 10 after 10 a.m. So people wanted to see the rebbe come in. So you really, and you have to go back to your minion, wherever it is in the mm-hmm. in the big structure. So um, we started at 1030 and... Uh, no, there was no, no, there was, a, it was a straightforward, uh, real, uh, davening, you know, yeah. um, and, um, what's the, do you, do you find any differences maybe just in terms of the time of, you know, growing up in the seventies, um, or sixties rather, 
fifties, yeah. Um, of of Yom Kippur then and now, well, like what are the, I guess some of the differences? Oh, I don't know. I think it. I think one of the beautiful things about it is, of course, its consistency. Our calendar is consistent. I mean, nothing's you know. changed about the davening itself. Well, I mean, in terms of the content uh, of the davening, uh, the only thing that changes is the uh, the the sincerity and the the kavan is. Uh, that you have, uh, but I think the the concept of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are fundamentally the same. Nothing, uh, nothing dramatic uh, has changed. It's all uh, uh, things from have to be viewed from a personal perspective of yeah. of your needs, what you need, what you're thankful for. You can also you don't have to only ask for things that you don't have. You have to be thankful for the things that you do have. So it's, it's uh, davening uh, on your Shani Yom Kippur Shabbos every even daily. It's many. It's multifaceted. It is so many. You can, you can come at it from so many different uh, different directions. Speaking of things changing over time, something I was just randomly thinking about the other day was um, was the fact like this is just. Could you uh, don't put that on that? Okay. Um, what is that? It's a it's a trackpad. Okay. The fact that like stuff like sushi. Sushi, charcuterie yeah. boards like these are newer things yeah. like you when you were growing up there wasn't sushi sushi didn't exist well i'll tell you the truth when i was a when i was a little boy uh there was no such thing as kosher pizza what there was no such thing as kosher pizza can you believe that what does that mean there was no such thing as kosher pizza until it's just dough and sauce no, and cheese no, no one ever thought of making kosher pizza until a guy only was pizza uh, was pizza in the world the big thing in the non in the non kosher world, there was and no probably. one thought to make nope, kosher no, pizza. No, no, there was there was a time when I don't get it. There was no this this whole this whole idea. We of, need a liquid to exist. That's why they're the, the, the this whole idea of taking foods that are traditionally uh, no. I mean, you could you could get a hamburger now with the, you can get a cheeseburger now. Okay? Yeah, most places and for sure. Uh, bacon, it's bacon. Power, it's power of cheese, you know. You could you you can get you know you can go to Dunkin' Donuts here and get the I don't, get I don't bacon. I don't understand though what changed in terms of 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 that of like the food. Like why did no one think hey kosher pizza would be and great? And my other other question is who there had to be one first Jewish guy who said we're gonna make kosher yeah, pizza. Yeah, there was. His who name, was he? His name was Shopsy. Shopsy who? I don't know his last name. His name was Shop. It was Shopsy's Pizza. It was. Well, on, that's in Crown Heights or in the entire Crown Jewish Heights. world. It was on, on Utica Avenue, uh, in Crown Heights. And um, it quickly, because it was pizza, uh, it qu quickly became a hangout. And one thing they did in yeshiva was they forbade you from going to the pizza store. Well, not the, well it's, good to, know, to go to the pizza it's store. good to know that things have not changed because that's like a... And you know that, I have to tell you, in B'nai Brock, for example, a pizza store, there are pizza stores, they have no tables and no chairs. You just got to take it and go. You can't sit. If you sit, you're up to no good. B'nai Brock does it right. I don't they know. Do I don't right. know about Lakewood. Maybe Lakewood has that too. They? I think they have chairs there. They have chairs there. What about tables? I don't know about tables, but chairs for sure. But sure. that's that. Like, well, sitting is dangerous. What happened? So did sushi exist in the, in the secular world? And then, and then in, in I'm the, not sure. I don't, I don't know about we that. Need to, at some point, maybe after Yontif, we'll do a whole history on sushi. Because to me, it's interesting. But a headline I saw over the weekend from Yeshiva World, Hagoyen Harav Gershon Edelstein, Davin for Elections and Yom Naraim. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the paragraph reads, in a rare Shilas and Chuvas from Harav Edelstein, published in Bama magazine ahead of Yom Kippur, the Rosh Yeshiva answered a number of questions about Yom Naraim. The question were posed to Rav Edelstein by, by Rav Mordechai Bunam Zilberg. Um, in response to a question about whether Davin, whether one should Davin for the upcoming elections, the Rosh Yeshiva answered yes. I'm going to go ahead and assume that Rosh Yeshiva is a, 
referring to the Israeli elections? Absolutely. Of course, he doesn't care what happens. What do you care what America? happens here with uh, with Kathy Huckle and Lee Zeldin? That's our problem. Yeah, that's part. You know? that's our He's problem. talking about the Israeli elections, which are taking place November. 5th. I, I, that speaks volumes. You know that he got involved in the election. That a Russian Shiva said he's diving for something that seems um, materialistic. No, it's not materialistic. It's very Torah-oriented and very, very um, I, I think, uh, Torah-related. I, I think that his Because his there's, a, that. there's potentially a lot of, uh, right now, the religious parties in Israel, the Shas Party, the uh, UTJ, United Torah Judaism Party, and other religious parties, uh, they're not in the government. They're in the opposition. Certainly when you're part of a, a, a ruling coalition, you have more power. And with the, what the, how that power is translated, it's into funding for yeshivas. I think that um, Israeli politics, the elections, everything gives everyone a big headache. And no one likes talking about it or hearing about it. Am I right about that? It's well, just it's just a big it's just one big headache. Well, but you have to talk, but you have to deal with it. It's very important that people go out to vote. You know, here in America, it's very important, as you see, how uh, an administration can have not not because they're switch over to the United States for a second, not because they are um, not because they are you know a bunch of mumblers and don't understand what they're doing, but their agenda is to break this country. I know, but you know, like I feel like, especially New York. Um, everyone was was really excited about getting you know Bill De Blasio out of office and then the voting yes. in Eric Adams and I don't think that Eric well, Adams term, is proving to be I mean, much term, better. No, it turns out he, he could uh, he's at least as bad. You know, he, but but like that's the thing. Like everyone's very excited and we vote. I just I'm just coming to grips with that. All politicians are sort of no good. Well, I don't I don't think that's the case. Uh, there's besides, good besides, her Bruce, besides her Bruce Blakeman, there's Bruce Blakeman. He has his heart in the right place, and he. I think it's and, very and, far and he wants what's good. He wants what's good for the people. So it's District Attorney and Donnelly. You have a gentleman out here running for Congress, um, Anthony uh, D'Esposito. Uh, you know, know. Uh, you have. It's just uh, my personal. It's just my personal opinion. I think that it just what we see is that everyone, while they're running for office, is it, it's like sometimes it's like some Jews during a Sarasimachuva. Everyone running for office is. Putting on their best their best suit, putting on their best foot forward, and then once they get elected, it's just like it's a disaster. It's a yeah, disaster. But, but to distance yourself from the process is counterproductive. You have to you have to make sure you you vote. You have to make sure your your wife votes, your children. No, vote. I, I agree with the voting. Every uh, every every vote counts, and it has as you see this day and age, it has a genuine connection to your daily life. Look, you're talking about how much it costs to go to Eretz Yisrael. You're talking about how much it costs to send your kids to yeshivas. You talk about a dozen eggs is like over four dollars. It's true, by the way. I don't know how much it, it used to be, but I don't know. Was it like a dollar? We're 29? not going to get into the discussion of groceries and you prices. You, you don't know the prices of groceries, probably. You, uh, don't, you don't go shopping. My, my wife does the shopping, but uh, there uh, you go. So I don't do the shopping either. But I did hear somewhere that. Oh, you heard somewhere? <laughs> eggs. Yeah, I think I overheard someone's conversation and said eggs is over four dollars a dozen. Well, what, what was it growing up for you? Fifteen cents. I don't know. Maybe five cents. But going back, or to did did eggs did I'll kosher you, eggs exist when you were growing up? Yes, there were kosher eggs. A pizza and a and a can of Coke was twenty five cents. One slice and a can of Coke was twenty five cents. That's right. Well, that's that's like the classic. You know, you're from the shtetl type of, but you're not from the shtetl. Listen, that 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 that's what it costs. You know how much. Uh, uh, you know, I remember people, their weekly salary was uh, $39, $40, That's wild. That, that would have uh, worked nowadays. That was enough. And to buy a house cost, uh, you know, $25,000. Not when I... Which, Listen, uh, I think something we're seeing um, is that a lot of people are sort of fed up with the in-town 
prices and lifestyle and they're moving out of town they're moving to florida they're moving to houston they're moving to um just different parts of yeah, but who wants to i mean i know people that are listening to this in florida and houston and that's a great place to live cincinnati st louis chicago Toronto. i didn't say anything i didn't say anything about the midwest i, I said florida houston these are great places to live but um but if you are born and raised in new york and you have a new york orientation I don't think you want to, want to necessarily move to those places. If you were always, we're seeing of, a lot of it. We're seeing a lot of young people. If you always had it, if you were always out of town, then it doesn't matter whether you live in Memphis or uh, or Houston. It doesn't matter. So I, I know a bunch of guys who grew up in Minnesota, and they they're like dying to move back to Minnesota. They they just want to go back to Minnesota. But I but I also am seeing a lot of people who grew up in New York, and they're now making the move to to Boca or to Houston, and and I think partly because of just quality of life. You're you're spending so much money to live here and you're just not getting much in return. Well, you know, when I parked my car a few minutes ago, um, it said 48 degrees and it's raining outside. Yeah, it's true. The wind is blowing. You don't it's have sweater that. weather. You don't have that in Boca, you know? And I saw that, by the way, I said, I saw that Sunday night, the first night of suckers here in New York, it's going to be in the high 30s. So that's, that's, that's going to happen and people should, you know, Prepare for that. Make sure to get your sweater and sweatshirts ready. Because listen, so this is late this year. I think I saw that last year. Circus was I, I, already. I've been last I've, week. I've been in Florida for circus too. It's uh, too and, hot, and it's ninety nine degrees. You can't so, go into circus because you're burning up. So I mean, like, where I guess Israel is just the perfect place to be. If it's too hot in Florida, uh, if it's raining in New York, you putter for meeting in the circus. Okay. If it's too hot in Florida. Can you are you putter? Are you a star? You gotta you have. You gotta ask your are you lawyer from from eating in the sukkah. Gotta ask. Your I lawyer. was. I went to a restaurant in. Uh, <laughs> I went to a restaurant in Miami Beach on Chalamet a couple of years ago, and only New Yorkers were sitting in the sukkah. All the yeah. Floridians know if it's too hot, you don't gotta sit in the sukkah. They, I guess that's the equivalent for the rain today. Uh, the, the New Yorkers know only rain exempts you from the sukkah. In Florida, they know it's the heat exempts you from the sukkah, but nobody told the New Yorkers that are in Florida yeah. that they don't have to eat in the sukkah if it's 102 degrees. Speaking of out of town, there is a fellow. He is my you rock person of the day. That is his name is Yossi Farrow. Okay. I post a picture over here right of him okay, for those who are watching. So Yossi is he is a Chabadnik. He's a single boy from Los Angeles. And I think what he's being known as sort of on social media, up and coming, is he raps Tfilin on mm -hmm. first of all, like anybody he can get his hands on that's Jewish, but Coincidentally, he's rapping to fill in a lot of celebrities. In, in, just in yesterday, California. in California and mm -hmm. yeah. Florida, just yesterday, he yeah. bumped into someone on the street. He rapped to fill in on him. Yeah. He asked him his name. The guy said, My name is James Franco. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. Yossi had no idea who he was. Yeah. And uh, he asked him what he does. He said he's an actor. And uh, James Franco happens to be a, a very, very um, well known Jewish? actor. He's Jewish. Yeah. Last week, Yossi rapped to fill in on on someone named Danny Duncan, who's also a big actor, and mm -hmm. and um, Yassi Farrow, who is like, they're called Mitzaf, Mitzafim? What is it called? Mitzaim. Mitzaim. So Yassi is like, he's leading the league in Tefillin rap. It's a project. The Reb had different projects. Mitzaim. You know. Did you ever, did you ever, you know, embark on rapping Tefillin? I don't think you did. Um, No, I, we put, I, I, haven't, I haven't gone out there in the street and done it like some of the guys do it here on Friday on Central Avenue. Nobody's doing it on Central Avenue. Yeah, there's somebody here on Central Avenue. And up up there, near the uh, near the Israeli grocery store. Really? Yeah, they're, they're there every Friday with a little filling station. Really? Interesting. And there used to be guys here on the corner of Cedarhurst Avenue and Central Wrapping Avenue. Wrapping Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
This is yeah. like uh, this is like the season for for Chabad Bachrim. Uh, do I get a person of the day too? You or? do, yeah. Please, who's your right, URAC? My, you my, my URAC person of the day today, Monday before Yom Kippur, is Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax yeah, is he Koufax, still alive? He's still alive. He's seventy nine years old. Okay, so he's not too old yet. Okay, he's not too old yet. According Sandy, if you're listening to you, that's big. What? Uh, according to you, that's big. If he's not too old yet. Oh, okay. Uh, but he's Sandy Koufax in nineteen sixty five was scheduled to pitch the first game of the World Series against the Minnesota Twins. And he told his uh, manager, Walt Alston, that because he's a Jew, he's not going to be able to work on Yom Kippur. And he's not going to be able to pitch the opening game of the World Series. It's very interesting you're mentioning that because I think Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom said the same thing the last couple of days. They just didn't show up. Well, listen, they just had a stroke of bad luck. I don't think either of them are Jewish. But the second, the number two starter on the Dodgers in those days was Don Drysdale. Okay. So Don Drysdale started game one Instead against the Instead of Sandy Kovacs. And he lost 7-1. to one. And, he probably, and he said to his manager afterwards, I'm sure you were thinking you were hoping I was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't have to pitch either. Wow. That, that takes a lot of... Uh was Sandy Koufax a, an observant Jew? Or no, he, he wasn't. He was no, Yom Kippur no, Jew. I read a story this morning in preparation for our, our broadcast, our program, that uh, he was in his hotel in Minnesota. I appreciate you taking that seriously. You're doing yes, prep. Uh, I am starting to. Uh, um, you don't allow me to reach for my phone, but. Um, I, you, I think after you hit a certain age, once you get on your phone, no, it's, it's just over. Sure, You're sure. going to get I distracted have, I, by I a looked, button. And I looked at things. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the Chabad Shliach in Minnesota, Rabbi Moshe Feller, uh, sought, he was a young shliach in Minnesota, and of course the game was in Minnesota, and he sought out Sandy Koufax. Uh, really? That's how Sandy yeah. Koufax, and he, and did... Uh, Koufax was in his hotel room on Yom Kippur. And did... did he didn't go to shul or anything. I mean, that's. I he mean, just was not going to. You're not going to pitch. Not gonna you should work. at least go to shul. Could though. be his father was going to kill him if he worked on. <laughs> but, uh, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go, I think if you're gonna, if you're not going to pitch, it's the least you should be is in shul. Like, why are you sitting in your hotel room? Um, I don't know. You, you, you can't judge. We got you know. We got. I'm sure Sandy has spoken about this. Maybe. Sure. Maybe I'm serious. Maybe his father. Maybe his father would have been very angry at him if he would have worked on on, on Yom Kippur. There's and so many Yom Kippur Jews. Anyway, no? But the, the the fact of the matter is that it it, it in 1965. That's that's almost like prehistoric times. Yeah. For you anyway. You were like 15, yeah. But uh, uh, no, I was uh, younger than that. But. <laughs> um, but uh, about ten. But um, but in prehistoric times, 1965, tremendous kiddush Hashem. You know what it means for a kid to see that, to see the headline in the in the in the New York Times sports section that uh, Sandy Koufax, the Cy Young Award winner, is sitting out the first game in the World Series. It is that because is of a Jewish holiday. Yeah. What was that like? What was that like for the young young it was avid thrilling. baseball it, fans? It gave me chills. It was exciting. Did you feel like it, Mashiach you know was coming because of that? It made it made uh, it made the idea of being a baseball fan kosher. It made it as you know it, we were able to. Uh, be proud of the fact that we were we we had relevance to 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 something that was was okay to it was kosher to to be a, a baseball fan in terms of uh, as, as a young. Do you, do you think anybody nowadays in in professional sports would do such a thing? I don't know. There there there's a lot of there's a lot of Jewish ball players. There is a lot of Jewish. It's about people eight or in ten sports. Jewish uh, ball players. I think uh, doesn't don't the Braves have somebody named Freddie Grossman? Freeman? Grossman. No, Freddie Freeman's not. It's Freeman. It's not Friedman. So Freeman's pretty Jewish. Uh, it doesn't go by pretty Jewish, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go by pretty Jewish. It goes by whether he's Jewish or not. Okay. You know. I guess so. Well, listen. If if we if we miss somebody, please in the comments on YouTube. Named, there's a guy named Grossman. I think on the Braves. 
if I'm not mistaken. There's a number of Jewish ball players. Uh, most of them are not in the playoffs of the World Series. Uh, are they going to sit out? You know, the season's much later this year because there was a there was a strike. Yeah, uh, it was a uh, it started the season late. So by this time, by Yom Kippur, ordinarily you would be in the middle of the World Series, but now you know they're going to be playing. If the Mets get into the World Series and it doesn't look like it because the Mets they're tired now. <laughs> it's been a long season. Um, and, you know, who, it's 162 games. You're yeah. tired. I also be tired after 162 games. Should I be tired after 16 so games? if you're making $40 million a year as a pitcher? You pitch every five days. You're if tired, you can't tell, my father is very, very salty about what's been going on with the Mets. If you don't care about the Mets, then no, you can just no, disregard really any of that. I really don't care about the Mets. It's I think just, you care a lot. No, not a for Shalom. It doesn't, doesn't. I, I, I care about it for 15 seconds. 15 minutes, less. maybe. No, 15 seconds. And, um... They they just didn't show up this weekend, you know. Yeah, they were in first place a whole uh, a whole year whole practically. It's pretty classic, you know. My my uh, Sean and my wife, uh, when I said I was talking to someone, I said, "Yeah, the Mets lost." She said, "I've always been hearing my whole life the Mets lose, the Mets lost, the Mets lost." I'm like, "No, but they're great this year. They won almost won 100 games, yeah, no, but they listen, just lose the big game always." They had a, they had a good season, and they might come back to life in the playoffs. They mm. they clinched the spot. In the I have playoffs. a theory about Jewish Jewish baseball fans. And as it pertains to Mets Yankees, if you are a redhead, I have never met a redhead Yankee fan. I've only met redheads that are Met fans. Yeah, why? What's the theory? I don't know. I've my theory is that if you're a redhead, you're a Met fan. And if I'm more than happy for someone to prove me wrong, if you want to comment on this on YouTube, you can send an email to the da- the Daily Thread at, g- at meaningfulminute.org. Like I've only met Met redheads that are Met fans. I don't know about that, but I have a theory also about it. I think that. People that come from Holocaust surviving families are Yankee fans. They just want to win. And people that uh, people that uh, didn't have that experience are, are more likely to be Met fans. And I think the, when the Yankees they were champions in the in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, when people came to this country downtrodden and victimized by by the Holocaust and holding on to life by the skin of their teeth. Wanted to hold on to something that was already identified with victory. Interesting, interesting the Mets, theory. The Mets were they were founded in 1962. They lost 120 games that first year. They were <laughs> pathetic, but it didn't matter because you didn't have that experience where your entire family was decimated and that you were struggling to 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 crawl your way back into having a semblance of very some interesting, kind of a normal life. Very interesting theory. Well, that is our show for today. Um, Maybe we'll be back at you with a show tomorrow. We still got to discuss discuss it to see if we will. If not, then for sure Thursday morning we'll have a show maybe for you. We can get some chickens on the show tomorrow. Just maybe for Caparis. Maybe yeah. we can bring some live chickens, guys. On. Again, vote vote in the comments. Money or chicken? Money or chicken? Which one are you doing Caparis with? You'll let us know in the comments. Go ahead and rate the show. Leave a five star rating. Leave a review. Thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe. Um, this is a new podcast, The Daily Thread. We appreciate you listening and taking it to the top of the rankings. And we hope we stay there. So thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Be well.